the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Number 3030. Additional condition. The following program is sponsored Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy asks, are you a pioneer or a settler? For Paul, there was one passion by which he was motivated, one goal for which he lived, and that was Jesus Christ, that I might someday be changed in the likeness of him. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. He's utterly unwilling to accept the status quo. Imagine if early Americans settled for being comfortable and complacent and never moved forward to explore the West? Welcome to Know the Truth with Pastor and Bible Teacher Philip DeCourcy. I'm Wayne Shepherd. And today, Philip is not asking us to get into a covered wagon and claim new lands, but he is calling us to move onward and upward in a passionate devotion to God. Today, we're learning how to advance into uncharted territory and draw closer to Jesus Christ. It's the conclusion of Philip's message, Making Progress, Christ, Our Goal. You and I want to live lives that are focused on the right things. We want to live lives that have purpose and meaning, lives that glorify God, lives that we will not regret to have lived when we come to our deaths. Life in focus. Life in focus is a life focused on Jesus Christ because He is life. Didn't He say that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life in focus focuses on Christ who is life. And the book of Philippians does that for us. In four chapters, Christ is presented as our life in chapter 1, our mind in chapter 2, our prize in chapter 3, and our strength in chapter 4. And so Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, where we see that Christ is our prize or Christ is our goal. I want to speak on the subject, making progress from Philippians 3 verses 12 through 16. The first thing that strikes you about this text is Paul's dissatisfaction. He's not happy with where he's at. Not that I have already attained, okay? Or I'm already perfected. But I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of Christ-likeness. Paul understood that he had been apprehended to become like Christ and to take the message of Christ across the world. And he's telling us here, you know what? I am perfect in one sense that my justification has given me a perfect standing before God. I have a righteousness that's not my own, and it's perfect. 
But here's what's not perfect. Here's what's unfinished. Here's what's incomplete. I'm still becoming all that God saved me to become. I haven't apprehended that yet. I haven't embraced all that Christ laid His hands on me to do. And so there's this dissatisfaction, this acknowledgement that He hasn't arrived spiritually. He's dissatisfied with where He's at. He wants to be more And that's why he keeps pressing forward. It's the picture of the athlete straining to cross the finish line with every ounce of energy available. Paul's not letting up. Paul's not slowing down. Paul's saying that the next lap is going to be faster than the last lap. He's committed to giving a better and more sustained effort in pursuing Christ. Let's move on. You've got the dissatisfaction. Now you've got the devotion. He's dissatisfied, but he doesn't stay there. His dissatisfaction is matched by devotion. And so he puts his foot on the accelerator and he devotes himself to some more miles of spiritual maturity. He's focused on fixing the deficiency. Notice his language, especially verse 13, because you have both these ideas. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm dissatisfied. But get this contrast of conjunction here. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He's utterly unwilling to accept the status quo. And we need to be challenged by that. For Paul, there was one topic of conversation about which he talked, one passion by which he was motivated, one goal for which he lived, and that was Jesus Christ. That I might know him, verse 10, and the power of his resurrection, and join in him in his sufferings. And that I might someday be changed in the likeness of him when he returns. So here's another thought the direction. We've looked at the dissatisfaction, the devotion. Let's look at the direction. Well, as you can tell from the text, it's forward, onward, and upward. Let's go back to our text. Look what Paul says in verse 13, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal, verse 14, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word prize there, or the word goal means mark. It speaks of the the mark, the finish line, the post that the runner moves towards, or the race platform that is the place where the reward ceremony will take place. This upward call of God in Christ Jesus will Paul was called from heaven on the road to Damascus. So his call came from heaven, and the call is to heaven, to be with Christ and to look like him. That's why in chapter 1 he says, what, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you know what? I'm not sure if I'm going to live, but if I don't live, that's okay, because to be with Christ is far better. That's the goal. That's the prize. That's the end. That's the finish line. That's it. And so Paul is living each day with that goal, that end in mind. And so he's moving forward. The purpose of his life doesn't lie behind him. It lies in front of him. To know Christ in this life and to be with Christ in the next life. That was what defined this man. And so he presses forward. Write down 1 Corinthians 9, 26, and you'll see that in that passage, Paul again draws from the analogy of the athlete, and he talks about that he he runs so as to win, not aimlessly. 
He's staying within his lane. He's got the finish line in mind. He's got gold in mind. He's not aimlessly wandering all over the track. He's running with purpose, running in the one direction. He's pressing forward. That's why, by the way, he doesn't spend much time looking back. Did you notice the phrase there? Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Notice, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward. And his point is this, and you know it well. You can't go forward by looking back. You'll run into something. And what's true physically is true spiritually. You don't drive your car looking over your shoulder, or I hope you don't. And if you do, let me know when you're on the road, because I don't want to be about. You don't go forward looking back. Now, look, when Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, you need to know that he's not scrubbing his memory. In fact, Paul, on many occasions, will look back. In 1 Thessalonians 1, you get an example of how he often begins his letters by looking back and talks about when he came to Thessalonica, they were serving idols, but they turned from their idols to serve the true and the living God. When he got there, he was weak, but you know what? He didn't preach in weakness, but in the power of the gospel. And they received the word in much affliction and with joy of the Holy Spirit. Paul's not telling us to forget the past. He's not telling us to erase memories of God's grace by which we would give thanks to God, by which we can take encouragement regarding God's faithfulness. Now, that's not what he's saying. He's saying this, don't look back, don't recall the past if it's going to get in the way of you moving forward. That's the point. There can be things in your past that act like dragging anchors to your spiritual walk. For the sake of time, we'll just touch on a couple. Past sins, past sorrows, past successes. Because past sins produce guilt, and that becomes a dragging anchor. And you wallow in your sin, and you don't think God can use you, and you believe your past has torpedoed your future. I mean, Paul could look back on his past. He was party to the killing of Christians. He was there at the martyrdom of Stephen. The accuser of the brethren could whisper in Paul's ear, hey, what are you doing preaching the gospel? You kill these people at one stage in your life. Sit down and shut up. And Paul's saying, don't let that happen. That gets in the way. The gospel covers that. When you repent of that, Jesus forgives you. I remember someone said, when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future and get on with your Christian life. Past sorrows, Paul had scrapes and scars. Read about his life in the providence of God. God allowed him to be suffer quite a bit. He was naked, hungry, shipwrecked. He was in peril of robbers, false brethren. Paul could look back at all of that and either, you know, feel sorry for himself and take a bit of a break. Or he could become bitter and go, Lord, you know, you, you've allowed a lot of stuff to happen to me, and I'm serving you as well as I can. What, what in the world's going on? What's this thorn in the flesh? I've asked you to remove it. It's getting in the way. It's making me weak. But he doesn't spend a lot of time there because past sins produce guilt and past sorrows produce bitterness. And bitterness eats us up from the inside out, and it halts our walk with God. And then there's past successes. I mean, we've have, we have alluded to the fact this is a, an apostle, a theologian par excellence. He's probably been used to a greater fashion than anybody else in the New Testament. One of the greatest preachers in Christian history of all time. But Paul doesn't spend a lot of time there because if past sins can produce guilt and past sorrows can produce bitterness, past successes can produce pride. And that becomes a dragon anchor. You get too big for your boots 
and you forget that, you know what, what do you have you didn't receive, and you are what you are by the grace of God that works mightily in you. So it's unbecoming to polish your medals in the presence of a thrice holy God who's given you everything you have and are and has made you what you are in Jesus Christ. So Paul's look, he's not saying don't look back for positive reasons. He's just saying don't look back and allow things in the past to stop this forward movement, whether sins, sorrows, or successes. I like the story that surrounds Bob Huggins, who was the coach of West Virginia University several years ago during a NCAA tournament. They won a game which put them one game away from making it to the final four. Pretty exciting times at the University of West Virginia. And after the game, with Again, one game between them and the final four. Bob Huggins was asked how he felt. And the reporters reminded him, you know what? This is only the second time in your coaching career you've got here. Many, many years ago, you got to the final four. And so they asked him to reflect and and to respond. And according to the story I read, Bob Huggins said, you know what? I never look back. Just never been that way. And then he goes on to tell the story about growing up as a boy in West Virginia. Played for a local basketball team. He was picked up one day by a friend and his father in an old beat-up pickup truck in Midvale, West Virginia. And as they were driving down the road, Bob Huggins realized that this old truck had no rear-view mirror. He turned to the old boy who was driving. He said, hey, mister, you have no rear-view mirror. To which the old boy replied, boy, we ain't going backwards. We ain't going backwards. Well, look, the analogy falls down a little in that Paul doesn't rule out a a rear-view mirror. Looking back upon God's grace and in gratitude and finding hope for God's present faithfulness given his past faithfulness. But you know what? There's not a lot of rear-view mirror in our pursuit of Christ. It's the windscreen. We've got to keep it clean. We've got to keep looking ahead. We've got to be driving down the road to greater Christian perfection. Okay, as we wrap up here, just the last thought, not very long, the directive. We've looked at the dissatisfaction, the devotion, the direction, the directive, verses 15 to 16. Therefore, let us, he's moving from a section in chapter 3 that's very autobiographical, and now he's addressing them. He's been talking about himself and what he wants to do more for Jesus Christ. But now he says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, I think you could broadly translate that, who are serious-minded saints. Let's have this same mind. What mind? The mind that he has. That we're going to make the least of what has gone and the most of what is to come. We're going to embrace the idea, as the old hymn puts it, he grows sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. So we're going to embrace a greater experience of Christ. The best years of our Christian experience is ahead. No coasting. No putting the car in neutral. No pulling over to the side of the road. So he says, like, you who are seriously minded about these things, have the same mind. Now, if you're not where I'm at, God will reveal that to you. He'll fix that. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, wherever we're at in our walk with God, hopefully we've grown, let us walk by the same rule. The word rule there probably implies the gospel or the standard of Scripture. Let's keep following the gospel. Let's keep obeying the Word of God. What's interesting is he says, let us walk by the same rule. The word walk here means walk in line or to fall in line. 
That's Paul's challenge. That's the directive. Guys, I've been telling you about what I want to do, and hopefully it's an inspiration. I'm not done. I'm far from being done spiritually. Now, here's what I want you to do. Fall in line behind me, and let's go after Christ. Let's keep to the rule. Let's keep to the gospel. Let's keep to the Word of God, and let's together go forward. Here you've got inspiration by imitation. And throughout Philippians, you get that. Paul uses himself as an example in chapter 2, uses Timothy as an example, uses Epaphroditus, and above all, the blessed Savior himself. Throughout this letter, we're encouraged to find inspiration in the lives of other Christians. Might be your father, might be your mother, might be a mentor, might be a pastor, might be somebody living, might be somebody dead. Some of my greatest mentors are dead. I read about them in books from Spurgeon to Martin Lloyd-Jones to David Brainard to Eric Little. In the 1980 Olympics in Moscow, Alan Wells of Scotland wins the 100-meter dash. And when he wins the gold, he says on British television, that was for Eric Little. Because Eric Little was a fellow Scotsman. If you don't know his story, it's portrayed in the movie Chariots of Fire, 1926. He's a Scottish Presbyterian, Sabbatarian. Doesn't believe you can play sports on a Sunday. It's a day that God has sanctified and set aside for worship. And so he refuses to run in the 100 meters that falls on a Sunday in the Paris Olympics. The British Olympic Committee's on at him. The press is against him. But he stands his ground, takes the heat, but he refuses to run. He then runs later in the week in the 200-meter and 400-meter disciplines. He gets bronze in the 200, and he wins gold in the 400. Quite a runner. You can imagine him in Paul's language in his running, pressing forward. In fact, if you watch Chariots of Fire, you'll see his particular stride with the head back and the chest out. But what he was in the Olympics, he was in his Christian life. Because what most people don't realize, in 1925, he graduates with a degree from the University of Edinburgh in science and also a degree in divinity. And he heads off to China with the China Inland Mission. He comes back in 1932. It's his first furlough. Falls in love with a lassie called Florence Mackenzie from Canada with Scottish roots. And they head back to China together. They have a little family 1941, he sees the writing on the wall, the Japanese occupation of China. So he sends Florence and the girls back to Canada to be with her family. He stays to carry on the gospel ministry and to help the poor. 1943, the Japanese invade and he's interned in a Japanese concentration camp. He'll spend two years until his death in 1945 with a brain tumor. Then he make an argument that it came about by malnutrition and overwork. He displayed a muscular Christianity even during those times under captivity. People said he was full of life. There was a spring in his step. He used to play games and sports with the kids and teach them the Bible. When he was interned, he had a simple wooden cross over his remains and his name was written on the little cross in black boot polish, Eric Little. He died running, my friends. It was a different race. He ran for Scotland and for Christ. When he ran, he felt God's pleasure. But as a missionary, he was running like Paul. 
for maturity in Christ, Christ's likeness. He didn't relent until he took his last breath. In fact, in the intervening years, he was asked at a news conference by a Canadian journalist, and he was asked if he missed the limelight. You know, this guy was national news, Olympic champion. Now he's, he's lost somewhere in China in a concentration camp of the Japanese. Well, before all of that, he's asked, do you miss the limelight? He, he says this, of course it's natural for a chap to think over all that sometimes has been, but I'm glad at the work I'm engaged in now. A fellow's life counts far more at this than the other. Not a corruptible crown, but an incorruptible, you know. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, we run so as to win. We discipline our bodies. They do it for a corruptible crown. We do it for an incorruptible crown. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what? Eric Little died running. Not for a corruptible crown, not for an Olympic wreath, but for an incorruptible crown, Christ-likeness and pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time in the Word. This is a challenging Scripture. We're embarrassed by the explosion of spiritual longing from the heart of the Apostle Paul. It would take the most of us the rest of our life to get where he's at when he writes Philippians 3. But he's not done. He still thirsts and hungers for righteousness. He has met Christ in special ways that none of us have experienced. In spirit, not in body, he has seen the third heaven in the presence of God. A lot to reflect on. A lot to be happy with. And yet, Lord, we see him each and every day come out the starting blocks as if he's at the beginning of the race. Fresh, committed, giving it his all. Help us not to linger on our way to heaven. May, may this church be marked with greater holy discontentment. May each of us commit ourselves afresh to lay hold of all your saving purposes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us not to be satisfied until we are saved to sin no more. Until we look in your face and are radiant. Until we are with Christ, which is far better. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May we long to see Jesus face to face. You're listening to a message from Philip DeCourcy here on Know the Truth. Today's broadcast is the conclusion of a challenging message titled, Making Progress, Christ Our Goal. It's from our newest series titled, Life in Focus. Get the complete study on CD or download individual messages for free at ktt.org. The Bible tells us that without Christ, we're looking at life through a distorted lens. And that's why at Know the Truth, it's our mission to present clarifying biblical truth through Philip's straightforward expository teaching. Because when we understand the truth of God's Word, life comes into focus and we can see Jesus for who He really is. With that in mind, we hope you'll join us as a financial partner to keep Know the Truth on the air, on the web, and coming through the KTT app and podcast. With a monthly donation of $25 or more, you can help send the gospel across the country and around the world. 
And as one of our monthly partners, you'll receive some special resources like our Accord monthly newsletter, access to a live monthly video devotional from Philip, and much more. Give us a call at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And if you prefer, mail your donation to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. But however you choose to give today, with a one-time gift or a monthly donation, we'll send you a resource Philip heartily recommends. It's a best-selling book titled Not God Enough by pastor and theologian J.D. Greer. We'd like to send this book out to you today, along with our thanks, when you give to the Bible teaching ministry of Know the Truth. Again, call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And thanks for your support. That's all our time today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again Wednesday here on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Pastors, church leaders, and those involved in leading ministries. WAVA invites you to our Fall Equip Pastors Conference at the beautiful Museum of the Bible on Thursday, October the 11th. This year's conference theme is The Art of Preaching and takes place at the Majestic Museum of the Bible. Registration for the October 11th WAVA Equip Pastors Conference is $25, including lunch. Register you and your spouse or a friend or your staff for this encouraging day with WAVA at the Museum of the Bible. Go to WAVA.com and click on the Equip Pastors Conference banner or call WAVA for more information. We see you trying to prove something by not taking a vacation. It's backfiring. You see workers who take time off are more productive, more creative, and more likely to get a promotion. While you were in that meeting trying to nap with your eyes open, you could have been crushing Friday with a wine tasting, a mountain hike, or a beach day. Don't be a work martyr. Pack your bags for adventure. Vacation inspiration is available at Virginia.org. This message is sponsored by the Virginia Tourism Corporation. For more information, visit Virginia.org. Tel Aviv, the Galilee, the Garden Tomb. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.